Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. It's good to be here with you. I'm so encouraged over the, the next several weeks as we jump into this Hoosier One a challenge that we have been given. And I know nobody better to lead that than Holly. Uh, she is definitely one of those people that is wired to be an evangelist and sharing the love of Christ with the people that she meets. Hopefully, uh, she will then also be an encouragement then to us each week as we come and we think about who is the one that God is calling us to share the gospel with, especially during uh, this Easter season as we lead up to Easter that is to come. Uh, we're, we're glad to be here today as we are studying through uh, Romans chapter 8. We're coming to the last few verses in Romans chapter 8, and we've been in this series called Spirit Lead Me. And the idea of, of this series is that you would, you would put your trust in the gospel so much that you would follow the Holy Spirit wherever he may be leading you. And as we've looked at this chapter together, we've recognized that the Holy Spirit is really that opportunity for us to experience the gospel. It's one thing to know that we have, we have been forgiven, that we no longer have condemnation for those of us that are put our, our faith in Jesus Christ, but it's a whole different thing to then experience it. Not just to have the knowledge of it, but to, to live it out, to walk it out and to experience it. And that's the primary function then of the Holy Spirit and what he leads us into. This series really hasn't been about listing the Holy Spirit for finding that spouse. This series really hasn't been about finding that perfect job by listing the Holy Spirit, nor finding the perfect apartment. I believe that the Holy Spirit can lead you into all of those things, but the primary function of the Holy Spirit's leadership is to lead us into experiencing the gospel. And then from that place, we become a people that follow after the voice of the Holy Spirit because we, we know it. We know it to be true in our lives. As we looked over this chapter the past few weeks, we've seen that the Holy Spirit has come and is lead us, leading us into what it means to be free from sin and free from death. That, that sin no longer has power over us. The only power that it has is what we give it. And so the Holy Spirit leads us into the experience of the gospel helping us to know that we are free from sin. We also have seen that the Holy Spirit comes along and helps us to know what it means then to belong to the family of God. Uh, that we who are once far away have been adopted and have been brought in because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. And now we are children of God, sons and daughters of God, where we are actually co-heirs with Jesus. And so we think about this, we think about Jesus being our Lord and our Savior. At the same time, he's also our brother. We sit at the table with him because of what he has done for us. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand what it means to belong, to be a part of the family of God. Last week, we talked about suffering and we, we recognize that the Holy Spirit comes and he, he groans with us. And in that groaning, we find hope in our suffering. For those that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, suffering is not the end of our story. Matter of fact, what, what God does in the, for us when we have put our faith in Christ is he takes all of the bad things that have happened in our lives, all those places where we've experienced pain and suffering, and he, he uses it all for our good for our good. And so even the suffering that we go through is for us to find hope in what God is doing. The Holy Spirit comes along and helps us to 
understand that and, and leads us in walking in hope even in the midst of our suffering. We come to verses 31 through 39 of chapter 8, and we continue to see what God has done for us and what the Holy Spirit is leading us into as we experience the love that God has for us. I want to invite Holly again to come, and she's going to read Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. And as she gets set there, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that in it is its life itself. And so we come today, Father, hearing from you, wanting to hear from you and wanting to listen to you and wanting to obey. May we be a people that follow the Holy Spirit wherever he may lead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Not in all these things we are more, no, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors who, then through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Uh, so we have a little bit of a bedtime routine uh, with Macy, and uh, it, it seems to work out all right. We, we don't know if we're doing all things well when it comes to parenting, but I feel like one of the things that we're doing well is, is that we're getting Macy uh, to bed, and she some, somehow, in some way, she sleeps like 11 hours straight, like 11, 12 hours at night. It's a glorious uh, 12 hours uh, for us when, when that happens. And it happens most of the time because for us, we're, we've gotten into this routine that seems to, to work for her. And so one of the things that we do is we, we set her on our bed and, and we ask Google uh, to play a, a bedtime story, right? And uh, so Google then like gives us some options. We pick from one of them. And I've come to realize that a lot of like the, the, the kids' stories that we've all grown up with, there's a lot of scary moments in, in those stories. One of the ones recently that Google has been playing and suggesting and that I played for several times this past week was the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Right, and so there she is. She's she's going to visit her grandmother because she's heard that she was sick, and she meets the wolf right in the middle of the woods. And so the wolf asks her what she's doing. Well, she's going off to visit grandmother, and so the wolf goes ahead of her, and then he eats the grandmother <laughs> in the middle of the story. Now Macy, she loves her grand her grandmothers, right? I, I'm sure she would not want a wolf to come and eat them, but that's what happens in, in, in the story, right? <laughs> and then the wolf begins to to dress up like the grandmother, right? Because Little Red Riding Hood is coming that way. And so the plan then is to, to eat her. Like this is the story that we're telling Macy before she goes to bed, right? And so there, there she is saying, you know, what great big teeth that you have. And finally, a hunter shows up at the end of the story 
and he pulls out his gun and he, he shoots the wolf right in front of Little Red Riding Hood and, and, she, and the wolf is dead. End of the story. That's it. That's what, it, that's what the story is about. Well, good night, Macy. We hope that you sleep well. You survived the wolf eating you and saw him die right in front of you. There's some fear sometimes when, when I'm listening to these stories. There's some scary moments, right? As we come to the end of Romans chapter 8, what we see Paul doing here is that he is addressing our core fear. What if God's love isn't good enough? What if it, what if it runs out? What if it's too good to be true? And what Paul does within this, this passage of Scripture here, these last few verses, is he wants to secure us in the unending love of God, that there is no way that it can run out. It's, he says this in verse 37, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The problem is that we far too often believe the voice of the accuser who comes along and speaks ill of God and his character. His love is not big enough for your sin and what you have done. And we listen to the voice of the accuser, and we also then begin to feel condemnation for how horrible of a person that we feel that we, we are. That's typically what happens when we listen to the voice of the one who comes to accuse us. And far too often, it is the experience then of our walk with God. His love somehow isn't big enough for me. He says in verse 31, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? What Paul begins to do here in these next few verses is really just poke holes at the gospel. He spent the first five chapters of Romans clearly laying out what the gospel is all about. And then he defends the, the gospel in Romans 6 and, and Romans 7. And here in Romans 8, he is taking on more of a, a pastoral hat and he has been encouraging us in understanding what the Holy Spirit is all about, how to experience the gospel in your everyday life. And now here is the pastor Paul. He begins to also put back on the attorney hat. And he begins to, to poke holes at the gospel because he knows the gospel can withstand any and all of these questions that we might have of it. And he says, then what are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is then against us? I don't know if you're like me, but I can list a number of things that seem like they are against me, right? I, 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 I could talk about uh, maybe a bad boss that I've, I've had in the past, or, or maybe we talk about how, how me and Sarah have been at odds, and it seems like we have an antagonistic partnership, or maybe inward struggles that we have, or addictions, or, or like, like chronic sickness, or difficult children. There seems to be all kinds of things that seem stacked against me at times, and I wonder, does God really love me? Can I really trust him in all of this? Or is he just simply a wolf in someone else's clothing? And at the end of the day, the rug is going to get pulled out from under me. I'm going to find out that his love is not enough. Paul begins to list some of those things that, that can be against us. He says this in, in verse 35. He says, can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, can those things be against you? Well, the answer is yes. Those things can be against us. 
but not in a way that is effective, not in a way that is going to succeed. Why? Because our God is for us and he's on our team. I think about growing up in church and on Wednesday nights, uh, as a kid, we would always uh, go down to the gym, like we had a gym there at the church, and we would play dodgeball. I think that is like the craziest game to play with kids, right? I mean, these big rubber balls, we're just flinging them at kids, like hitting them in the head, like there's a lot of dangerous moments that can take place in dodgeball. And I, I wasn't too athletic, but I was actually pretty crafty uh, when it came to sports. And so my go-to move in dodgeball, and you might be here with me, is just like hide behind everybody else in the back, right? And, and generally, I do pretty good just kind of hiding and let everybody else play the game of dodgeball. On this particular occasion, I was the last one standing on my team. So there was no more hiding. It was just me. And on the other side of the dodgeball court was the pastor's son, and he was really athletic, and everybody loved him, and it was me versus him, and everybody in the gym seemed like they were cheering for him, right? This was the moment where I felt like everything was stacked against me. And so what does he do? He picks up one of the dodgeballs. We were playing with multiple dodgeballs. He picks up one of them, and he lobs it into the air. Now, I know if I catch that, what happens? He's out. I win! Like my team wins, right? He lobs it into the air, and I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to catch this, this dodgeball that he just seemingly has just thrown at me for an easy win. And then someone somewhere in the gym cries out, look out, Chris. <laughs> I don't know who it was, um, but somebody felt compassion on me in that moment because he had just taken another dodgeball while this one was in the air and like hurled it at me, right? It was just enough time to hear the lookout Chris. And I took my eyes off that and saw the other one coming right at me. And I put up like my hands and like, no, <laughs> like defense and somehow caught the ball. I mean, I would for the whole team. And it was amazing, right? So thankful for the voice uh, that, call, that called out in the middle of the dodgeball game. Look out, Chris, right? Somebody was on my side. Somebody was on my team. And God, he is for us. Even when everything else seems stacked against us, we can trust him. But the question really for us is how can we trust that God really does love us and that he really is for us? How can we put our trust in that? Verse 32, here's what Paul says in chapter eight, verse 32. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? How can we trust that God is for us and that he will always love us? Well, the answer is the cross. You see, God is not on the sidelines saying, look out, Chris. No, actually what God does is he gets in the game. He gets in our life, and he, he sends his son to come and to stand in our place, going to the cross, paying the ultimate sacrifice because God loves us. Do you want to know that God loves you despite what you have done, despite any sin, despite any way that you've messed up? Look at the cross. What Paul does here is beautiful. It's magnificent in the way that he begins to to articulate 
a solid defense for the gospel. He, he argues from the idea of, of greater to lesser. And you've probably used a similar argument before in your life. Where he says, if you want to... If you want to know that God is like in the details and the, the small like details of your life and he's got everything figured out because he loves you, well, look at the greatest thing that he's ever done for you. If he's done that, then, then you can trust him in these smaller places, in these other details in life. He gave his son to die on the cross for you. Why would we doubt him in any other area of our life? He is for us Look to the cross and see that he loves you and he loves me. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 34, Paul begins to, to ask some more questions because he knows that the gospel can withstand these questions. He says, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Now, what Paul is doing here, he's got his attorney hat back on, and he's beginning to argue from the idea of double jeopardy. No, I'm not talking about the game show. I'm talking about the legal term. And basically what double jeopardy says is that you cannot be tried for the same crime twice for your sin. Jesus already paid the price. He went to the cross. He was found guilty because of your sin. And he was condemned because of your sin and my sin. You cannot, you cannot be tried for the same crime twice. You cannot be crucified because Jesus already was. You cannot be condemned because Jesus already was. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It was Jesus Christ who is the one who died. He took the charges, he took the condemnation, he took our penalty. We can trust that there's nothing that can come against us, no charges that can stick. There's nothing that we can be accused of that we will be found guilty for. Jesus, he ended our condemnation so that we would never see the end of God's love. Jesus, he ended our condemnation on the cross so that we would never see the end of God's love. Verses 37 through 39 say this, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. Come on. This is good. So I know we don't respond a lot like that, but I'm praying for a revival to even come here, right? I mean, this is good stuff. This is what our Lord does for us. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love because of what Jesus has done for us. But notice what this says. It says that we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. One Bible scholar says it like this. A conqueror merely defeats his enemy. One who is more than a conqueror makes the enemy serve his own purposes. 
We're more than conquerors. There is nothing in our life that could come against us. For those that have put our faith in Christ, he is working out everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You are more than a conqueror today. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you have his love and there's nothing that you can do for that love to end. It is immeasurable. Just look to the cross. See what Jesus has done for you. He has made us more than just merely a conqueror. We have victory in him. So what is then our response then to what the gospel is doing in our lives, what the Holy Spirit is calling us into? I want to take you to the second part of verse 34. It says this in Romans 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. You see, what Jesus did is he, he did work on the cross. But right now, in this very moment, what Jesus is doing, he's still working on your behalf, like still. That's how committed God's love is to you, that Jesus himself is continuing to work on your behalf. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us on our behalf calling out to the Father on our back. We talked about this last, last week when we uh, were together, that the Holy Spirit also plays a role in this. This is Romans 8, verses 26 through 27. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings, and he searches our hearts, knows, knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints, for us, according to the will of of God. So catch this. This is amazing. This is a beautiful, encouraging picture. They're like two persons of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit that has been sent to us. Both of them are interceding for you to the Father. The wholeness of God is committed to you. Jesus is there right at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, in glory. The Holy Spirit is right here with us. Even when we don't understand like what to pray for and all we want to say is, ugh, life is so hard. The Holy Spirit takes that and intercedes with that on our behalf. He is walking with us, interceding to the Father while Jesus is in glory, interceding for us to the Father as well. The wholeness of who God is is committed to you loving you, wanting the best for you. What can stand against us if our God is for us? And he is. He's committed to it. We must put our trust in Jesus, believing that God is entirely for us. And because of his love, he has provided everything that we need. You know, the whole idea of this series is that we would put our trust in the gospel and the work of what Jesus has done for us 
So much so that we follow the Holy Spirit wherever he may be leading us. And we've seen that the Holy Spirit is leading us into freedom from sin. We saw that in verses 1 through 11. That the Holy Spirit is leading us to belonging to the family of God. We saw that in verses 12 through 17. We also have seen that the Holy Spirit is leading us to experience hope in the midst of our suffering. We've seen that in verses 18 through 30. And here today we see that the Holy Spirit is leading us to experiencing the unending love of God. He loves you. There's nothing that can change that. Put your trust and your hope in him today. I want to invite Cam to come, and she's going to play for a little bit here as we begin to close. And we also are going to prepare for um, communion um, this morning as we come to uh, the table. Before we do all of that, um, I want to tell you a little bit more about about Macy's uh, bedtime routine. Um, we, we don't just leave it at uh, a, a scary story and put her, put her to bed. <laughs> Hopefully it's something that uh, she does enjoy. Um, when she gets old enough, she'll tell us. Don't tell us that story. Don't tell me that story anymore, please, right? Um, one of the things that we also do with her is that uh, we hold her in front of like the window and we, we say, tell New York, good night. Good night, New York, right? <laughs> she, we try to get her to wave. <laughs> and then we say, tell, tell House Kitchen, good night, right? And, and Try to get her to wave. It's, and then, like, we, we have these blinds that we can pull down. And so I hit the button, and the blinds come down, and, uh, and she, like, likes watching, like, the, the lights kind of go out. Right? The last thing that, <clears throat> that I do with her, and that it, whether it's me or Sarah, um, we, we pray with her. And um, typically we start out praying, you know, help Macy have a great night of sleep tonight so she can have some energy for tomorrow, have a great day tomorrow at here with, with her mom and dad or with, at daycare or whatever's going on the next day. And then we move on to something else to pray for. And typically, Sarah or me, are doing, we're doing most of the praying. Macy doesn't, isn't much of a prayer warrior just yet. Um, so we're doing most of this. But uh, we move on to the next thing. And then we, we pray that uh, we pray for mom. We pray for dad. We just we pray that, that we'd be healthy and that we'd be a, a loving family and all that, right? And then, then I close with a prayer for Macy, praying that she would know how much Jesus loves her, right? Now, I know that Jesus, he loves her more than, than I love her. <laughs> That's hard for me to fathom, but I know it's true. I know that Jesus, he is for her more than I am even for her. And, and I'm, I am for this girl. Like, I, I, I clean up her dirty diapers and get stuff all over my hands. I am, I am for her, okay? <laughs> I'll do all kinds of things for her. But Jesus, he's more for her than, than I ever could be. And I want her to know that. And I want you to know that. That Jesus, he, he loves you more than anyone could ever love you. That Jesus, he is for you more than anyone else is for you. You can put your trust in him. You can put your trust in the gospel and follow the Holy Spirit wherever he may lead. I want us to take a posture of prayer as we come before the Lord and we prepare our hearts for even a time to come and to celebrate what he has done for us. A couple questions just for you as you are listening and preparing for this moment. What lies have you heard from the accuser? 
And what have you believed falsely from the accuser? What lies have you heard from the accuser? And what, what have you believed falsely that has come from the accuser? What is the truth that God wants you to hear instead? What truth is he even speaking to you right now? Another question, how is your hope increased knowing that Jesus is praying for you right now? Right now, how has how your hope increased knowing that Jesus is interceding for you right now? You think you've prayed a lot about that, that thing that, that seems so, so wrong in your life or that thing you're trying to get fixed or that next step? You think you've prayed a lot? Jesus has prayed even more, interceding for you. Finally, what happens to your fears? Knowing that God's love is unending. What happens to your fear? Knowing that the, the rug will never be pulled out from you, that you can trust in God, that his love is unending. these final moments before we even begin to sing just take some time before we come to the Lord's table and to, to confess any sin we don't confess sin in a way that we, we're going to beat ourselves up that's not the point you cannot be condemned for that sin so don't even try to beat yourself up about it right we're, when we confess sin we are simply agreeing with God that this is not of you and I'm wanting to find you so I'm turning away from this this stuff that I shouldn't be focused on so take a moment just to confess sin, to agree with God about those things that shouldn't be in our lives. And also take a moment to, to rededicate your life to God. That's really what this table is about. As we, as we come to the table, we are, we are saying to Jesus, I am following after you in obedience in my life. I'm making that commitment again. Know that his love is great for you and may it encourage and increase our love for him. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We know that it's only by the gospel that we can stand here today as a people who are not condemned but are free from our sin, we are free from death. We, we know it's only because of the gospel that we belong to the family of God as a child of God. We know it's only because of the gospel and the work of Jesus that we have hope in the midst of our suffering. And we know that it's because of the gospel that we can point to a God who has unending love for us. We thank you for Jesus. I pray that in these moments we worship you and song, and as we come to celebrate um, the Lord's Supper. Thank you for all that you've done. Praise in Jesus' name.